All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and just get started. Um, and hopefully as people join, um, uh, they will fall into what we're talking about. So I actually just, I get, wanted to start because, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't like really funny, you know what I mean, or engaging necessarily. So I just want to start with a fun story this morning. So I actually asked my daughter, I said, Abby, what is something that you remember that you, when you think about me being mom that I did or said or something, like, is there anything that comes back to your mind that you would just say, oh my gosh, mom, you know, like that was kind of weird. That was silly or whatever. And she burst into just laughing, you know, burst out laughing. And she said, there's one, she said, and it was from when, I don't know, it was like, she thinks she was around six or seven, eight, maybe something like that. And she, and all she said, which I'm probably giving away the punchline now, but all she said was too many buttons. And I knew exactly what she was talking about because many years ago, I mean, she was quite young, many years ago, I, did, I was doing the typical mom thing, like all of you, busy day. I don't remember if it was appointments or if I was working yet or because I had not worked for a time period in there, you know, home with my kids. So I don't remember what it was, but I remember coming in the door and thinking, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> You're all going to start relating to this really fast. I need to go to the bathroom. But there was kind of busyness, craziness going on. Kids were, you know, wanting to say hi and all of this. And so it was just kind of busy. And so I started with dinner right away. I think my husband came in. He was like, oh, when's dinner? I'm kind of hungry. So I just kind of started and I kept thinking, I just need a break. Like I need two minutes to run to the bathroom, but it never happened. And so I got dinner on the table, set to, you know, everything. I even sat down thinking I could probably just go while they're eating, but I didn't. And so I sat there and ate. Well, as I ate, you're, you're sitting, you just kind of lose the urge to have to go. So I forgot that I had to go to the bathroom. And I'm going to tell you about 15, whatever, 15 minutes later when I went to stand up or 20 minutes, I remembered <laughs> because all of a sudden I was, you know, kind of pretty much going already. And I was like, oh my gosh, there was about 40 feet between me and that toilet. <laughs> Can I make it 40 feet? And I just kind of took off and I didn't realize because this was not really a style that was in but for whatever reason I had pants on that day that had buttons and not a zipper so I started to think I'm gonna unzip as I'm running so that I can just you know be ready and I couldn't I was I guess I do remember this I was yelling too many buttons like I couldn't get the buttons undone as I'm running to the bathroom so you know it was just one of my moments I'm sure I probably had to make a little change that day or something I don't I don't really remember the end I just Remember the panic is what I remember, but y'all have been there. So what's funny is about six or eight months ago, I had found this graphic when I first was preparing this whole presentation. And, you know, Rachel and I kind of went back and forth on, is it really appropriate that she's not wearing, you know, pants or anything? But, you know, as we talked, we kind of realized that in some way, this is real life, right? This is, I just want water. I just, I'm the mom. I just want my glass of water. But my kid, I don't want him to fall off the stove that she's not only on the floor holding to, she's up on, if you can tell, that ledge, you know. So mom's got her leg up there and she's, you know, holding the girl in place to make sure she doesn't fall. But of course it says I don't have a nine to five job. I have a when I open my eyes to when I close my eyes job, right? That's our normal life. It's crazy. It's busy. It's, we, as moms, and you all know this, I'm preaching to the choir on that, but we have about a thousand things going through our head all the time. In fact, I have a graphic later, it might even be in your packet, that just shows we probably think these thoughts just about every day. We've got so much going on in our minds and our lives. So with that, I wanted to start um, with a couple because these have meant a lot, a lot to me. So in the midst of all of our craziness and trying to get through life, these are a couple of scripture that I want to share, and I want to share why they were so powerful for me in the midst of all of this, and in the midst of too many buttons, right? The scripture, it's in Isaiah, it's 41.10, Isaiah 41.10, and I love this. I love it, I love it. It says, fear not, and yes, as moms, I don't know if we always call it fear, but I think we fear not doing the right thing, not being good enough, not remembering, dropping the ball, saying the wrong thing. We, we carry that unless we say, fear not, this is God speaking, for I am with you, be not dismayed, for I am your God. And these next ones, I will strengthen you. How many of you need strength every day? I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I got to tell you, that scripture, I mean, there's a couple other ones I'm going to share, but that one was a foundation for me because every time I started to think, I can't do this. <laughs> or I'm goofing up, or something's not right, I went back and I said, but I'm not alone in this. 
I am not alone in this. Another one, and actually we use the scripture differently a lot, but I want to tell you how I, as a mom, very frequently thought about this scripture. You're going to know it. It's Psalm 139, 13 and 14. Um, it's the, this, you know this verse. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Awesome verse. And yes, it speaks to me as a person. But in truth, I very frequently would put my kids' names in there, right? Listen, listen to it differently or maybe put your own kids' names. I'm going to read it as, as one of my kids. For you created Jacob's inmost being. You knit him together in my womb. I praise you because he is fearfully and wonderfully made. All your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And to me, it was like this constant reminder that really these kids, they, are, they, were, they were are created by the Almighty, and he, he's entrusted me, you know, me and, and my husband, right? He's entrusted us to raise these incredible, wonderfully, perfectly made little kids, and they are all unique. None of my kids are like the other. They're all very different. And you, if any of you have multiple kids, you know that, right? They're very rarely very close to is like each other. So that's how that particular scripture encouraged me a lot. And then just one more. And this one, <laughs> this one I remember. I think I was having a moment. I probably was not super emotionally stable at the moment. But I just cried as I read the last part of this verse because I needed it so much at the time. And so it just became one of my other scriptures I went to a lot. It's another Isaiah. I'm not sure how I always ended up in Isaiah. But Isaiah 40:11, And it says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And then this line, he gently leads those that have young. And I think I had young ones at the time I discovered this verse or, or came back to it. And I remember just, I was sitting on a rock. I don't know where I was, but I was on a big boulder. I think I'd probably taken off by myself for a little bit to get a little quiet time. You know, think Jesus going out into the desert by himself there. So I, but I just, I just needed a moment. And then I read that verse. Ladies, he is, he is your strength. He is, he will always uphold you. He will always help you. He gently guides you. So when we feel like we're having this kind of a day, kind of crazy, chaotic, man, if we can recenter ourselves, and we're going to talk a little bit about, more about that in a little bit, but if we can recenter ourselves in who he is and that he has given you everything that you need to give you the strength and wisdom to get through, take that as, as huge encouragement because that will do anything better. I'm going to go into some brain stuff, but honestly, that, that is, is far greater wisdom than, than some of the brain stuff I'm going to share with you today. So, so with that, I'm going to switch a little bit. Um, so one of the things I want to, I think Rachel put this in there. I got to find it. Um, uh, no, going the wrong way. That's not it. Maybe she didn't put it in. Oh, I guess she didn't put it in. I thought she did. Sorry, I'm flipping fast. Hope she didn't. Okay, never mind. So I don't have an image of what I was thinking right now, so I'll just leave it there for a minute. Um, <clears throat> very simple. I can explain it to you. I was thinking she had an image in there. I want to start with the amygdala. All right, I don't know if any of you have heard of the amygdala. Some of you have, some of you haven't. Some of you know that it's the fight, flight, fight, flight, or freeze center, right? But I want to explain, like, almost like in practical terms, when you're watching a child or, quite frankly, an adult having a moment, I want you to understand biologically what's actually happening because it's very interesting. And quite frankly, the more I learned about this, the more I was able to separate myself emotionally from what was happening and understand what was happening, right? And, and it gave me a different way to be able to manage these kids. So the amygdala is this teeny, it's probably one of the tiniest parts of the brain. That's what I've been told. And it's kind of dead center in the brain. So if I went halfway down and halfway in, like think centered, kind of right between ears, right kind of at the top of the spinal uh, column of your body, right? So it's kind of in a protected area. And this teeny, teeny, tiny little part has one job. And it's a major job, but it's one job. And its whole job is when there is a reason to respond, and usually to respond quick, it says, it like goes on alert, and it's like, you know, pay attention, wake up, look, you know, or, or something, respond, react, do something. Because if you don't, some sort of harm might come your way. 
oftentimes that amygdala wakes up and shouts alert before you consciously are even aware of whatever is happening. A lot of times we talk about, you know, like your gut instinct or, um, you know, paying it, you know, how we recognize or sense things, the intuition. Really, that is your amygdala that is already sensing potential danger before um, it actually happens or comes to you, right? So right above the amygdala, so now we got that teeny little piece in the center of the brain, right kind of above the amygdala, there's this kind of, I don't know, elongated piece, and it's called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus's job is, it's kind of like a gatekeeper, if you will. So the gatekeeper has to tell the cognitive brain whether or not there's time to deal with whatever this danger is, right? So when your amygdala says, holy cow, wake up, pay attention, something's going on, right? The hippocampus essentially in a split second, I mean, there's, it's, it's not, you don't consciously think through this process, right? In a split second, it has to recognize, is there time to respond or not, right? So if there's time to think through, if it's not like a car barreling down on you, if there's actually time to respond, it will allow it, it'll allow that scenario or that situation to get into the cognitive brain for you as the mom to think, okay, now wait a minute, what do we need to do? Let's think through this a minute. Let's decide, do we have time or, or whatever the scenario is? But if there's not time, then, you, then the hippocampus says, nope, and it pushes it right back down into the amygdala, and there's this immediate biologic response that your body goes through. And the response goes like this. The amygdala says, hippocampus, do we have time? Nope, we don't have time. We have to respond now. There's a chemical reaction that happens. It goes right down into the pituitary, pituitary uh, uh, glands of your body. And then that shoots this chemical out your adrenal glands. And this whole thing happens like that, right? It's, it's instantaneous how it happens. And all of a sudden, you have this stress hormone that gets shot into the abdominal cavity. And quite frankly, in a matter of, I mean, seconds, shoots and covers the entire body or in, in the body and including the brain, which will be important in a minute. All right. So just pause for a second with that information. Think about how many times You've been in a scenario where maybe you feel really uncomfortable or something has happened or, you know, you're wor- you know all of a sudden this worry moment where it's like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen here? Um, how many times have you ended up with a little bit of a stomach ache, a little nausea maybe, maybe even a feeling of vomiting? Sometimes I have people who vomit, not always, but people who have ulcers, they are people that we know have had high levels of stress. So think about that. That's the area of the body that all that stress hormone comes out, and it sits and covers the body, right? So back to what happens in the body in this moment of, you know, instant response, needing to respond, that chemical, well, in, in, huh. here's the interesting part. We don't get to decide what chemical gets excreted. So there's a couple different chemicals that we can excrete, right? This is why you have fight, flight, or freeze because there's different chemicals and we don't determine what those are, right? Those are, they are within us, okay? So one of the trainings that I thought did a really great, great job explaining this, so I'll kind of use their kind of analogy, if you will. Um, The person who was doing this training, he was the uh, head of the trauma center at Arizona State University. Oh, just, just wanted to take his brain and, you know, shove it in mind for a little bit. It's really good. But he talked about this instant chemical response that happens, and so it kind of shoots back up, and then he, he kind of had it going one of two ways, right? One way, if it, if it goes this way, he had a picture, an image of the Hulk, you know, rah, big, mean, big, you know, big muscle, all that stuff, right? That's the adrenaline. That's what comes out for a person, and now I'm going to bring this back to children. This is to be truthful, everything I'm talking about can happen first day of life through last day of life, right? This is the response that the body goes through. I'll bring this back to children in a minute, but it does, applies to everybody. So the Hulk side is that adrenaline. It's the hormone or hormones, stress hormones, and there's several, there's a bunch of them, but that's those stress hormones that cause us to have to respond. There's energy right? There's a need. Sometimes here I wrote down some of the things that we see with kids, right? We've got the temper tantrums, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about in a minute, but we've got the temper tantrums, screaming or yelling, running. Can't tell you how many kids I have that run. They're not trying to run away. I mean, unless they're consciously thinking, I'm going to pack my bag. We've got that. But you've got kids that in the middle of a stress moment, they just run, 
right? They're, they're just trying to escape. They're not trying to run from you. They're just trying to escape whatever in their brain is saying, this is dangerous or this isn't okay. And we take that sometimes as, why are you running from me? You know, they, they're, just, they're just trying to escape. It's not about you, right? So um, running, what else do I have on here? Swinging, hitting, that, you know, some of the typical aggressive type behavior that we might see with a kid that, that feels highly uh, stressed at that moment, right? The other side, so if it doesn't go toward the Hulk, toward the Hulk <clears throat> he calls it the noradrenaline, which really there's just other chemicals that um, have a very different effect on people. So it's more of a, um, almost, you know, think almost like anesthetic, if you will, to the body, right? This, this stress hormone, um, it kind of, I don't want to say it calms it because it's not a calming, but it's a, almost like an immovable type of chemical. Uh, this is why... I guess I want to be somewhat careful in saying this, but sometimes I've had victims of, of scenarios that in their head, they're later thinking, why didn't I run when I could? Why didn't I fight? Why didn't I? Why didn't I? And honestly, if they have this type of chemical in their head, they could be screaming, hit, kick, something, but they can't physically because the stress hormone almost essentially Oh, boy, I always not get this word right, and anesthetizes them, <laughs> anesthetic through their body, right? It just, it just makes it almost like it shuts down that nervous system a little bit, okay? Here's the thing. Either one of those, it doesn't matter whether you have this adrenaline or the noradrenaline, either way that it responds, the one thing you really want to understand is in those moments, please remember that the cognitive part of the brain is completely, in the words of the gentleman from Arizona State, it is completely offline, Right? You, they don't, the kids don't, sometimes we get into the situation, you remember some of those moments yourself probably, where we just feel like we can't think at that moment. We're stressed, right? Stress hormone is actually like, it, it, it acts in the brain like, a, like an alcohol does. It interferes with normal, logical, rational, neurological connections. It interferes with that. And so you, we don't really think super great in those moments, right? Whether it's the high energy, the Hulk side, or the, the noradrenaline. Oh, in the picture, I have to show you because I just thought it was funny. You know, the Hulk, he's got the great big thing. On the other side, he still has the Hulk, but the Hulk's like this. <laughs> he's just, you know, he's all slumped over and, you know, just kind of pathetic looking. And, and again, it's because they just retreat. In fact, I didn't say that yet. So the, the retreating Hulk, these are some of the things that you'll see, let's say in a kid, but it could be in anybody. You'll see withdrawal, go hide in the corner, hide in the room, hide under a bed, even put themselves in a corner because they think if I can't see you because I'm in the corner, then you can't see me, right? They, um, they will take the blame, not because they did anything wrong, but to to try to resolve the stress that they're feeling at the moment, okay? I don't know about you. I'm just going to, this is a little inter-something, but I learned, I wish I would have learned it earlier, but I learned when my kids were young not to punish if I truly did not know who was responsible for whatever the scenario was with multiple kids, right? Because there's always, I shouldn't say always, but a lot of times there's that one or maybe two, you know, at least one of them that is willing to take the blame. And, and then you think, well, I've got the offender. They're admitting, right? But in truth, they may be taking the blame to put, to back away from the stress because it feels so overwhelming, but they're not the runner energy get away. So they're doing what they can. So kids will take the blame. They will withdraw. Um, sometimes they'll just sit and stare and you really think that what you're saying is getting into their head. And in truth, it's like this blankness, like they really aren't catching what you're saying at that moment as far as understanding, but they don't have, again, that energy type of hormone to make them move, right? Um, do I have another one? Uh, sometimes they struggle to have their voice. So you might ask them, you know, either, A, what happened? Or you might be trying to say, tell me what you're thinking or what were you thinking or, you know, those kinds of things. And they literally, and they might look at you and say, "I don't know, I don't know." And his parents sometimes say, "Yes, you do." <laughs> you know, we want to say that, right? Well, you know what? In that moment, they may not. They literally may not have access to those thoughts. And so we want to, you know, we want to understand that biologically, they're not lying to you. They're not trying to get out of trouble at that moment. They are kind of offline, just like we are in in moments when we have these kinds of reactions. Okay. Is that all? I mean, kind of, sort of, yes, no, making sense? Everybody catching that a little bit? Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. I got a thumbs up. I just want to make sure it's connecting well. 
Um, so the stress hormone, when it floods the body, it floods the brain, um, it generally, I mean, it's going to be different, different people, different body systems, that sort of thing. But generally, they believe that it takes about 15 to maybe 45 minutes for that stress hormone to start to wear, to, to drain off, right? Um, sometimes with your energy type aggressive ones, you need to find something, and we can talk about this later, but something that maybe in, like allows them to use that energy. So not punishment wise, but maybe it's, we're going to go outside and we're going to take a walk. Or we're going to go ride our bikes for a minute. Or go in the backyard and run ten times around the trampoline. Or whatever. You know what I mean? Just like using the energy. Not in the sense of this is a punishment. We, we, and I'll talk about that later. But we, it's not so much punishment. It's using the energy. Sometimes if it's winter, you, you know, let's do ten jumping jacks together. And if you do it with them as much as <laughs> jumping jacks are never pretty for me. But if you do whatever it is that you're having them do with them, they're not feeling punished so much as if you say, you need to do 10 jumping jacks, or you know what I mean? It's, it's a difference in how you, you speak it, right? Um, but allowing the time for that to drain off for your kind of your noradrenaline, your retreating Hulk people, kids, um, making sure they're in a safe place, but let them just sit. Maybe they do just need to sit with a book. Sometimes that might feel like a reward. It, again, if you're thinking biologically, they need time. They, they can't really process a lot at that moment, right? We got to get past the draining off stuff, okay? Then, you know, and I want to be very, very clear, you do need to come back and talk to them about what happened. We need to have conversation. We, we might need to use it as a learning moment. Maybe there still is a consequence that has to be done, but here the difference is now the consequence isn't done, A, when they can't really understand it because they're offline, or when you're so frustrated or offline yourself that you're consequencing in a way that feels angry as opposed to a teaching moment, right? We want teaching moments, um, which means we, and, and I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to share something in just a little bit where I didn't do this real well. So, you know, if you haven't done it real well, sometimes that's okay. It's okay. We, we can learn and grow and change and heal and all those things. Um, but what you're hearing me talk about right now is kind of the, I mean, I don't want to say the ideal, but it's, it's some of the healthiest way to allow our kids to learn, grow, be taught, have healing moments, but not let the emotion get in the way of that because that can derail a lot. Um, so allow some time. So this is just a, a more of a little bit of an example to help you understand. Plus, I think it is very, it, to me, it's very intriguing. I had a friend um, a couple of years, probably three or four years ago, which is one of my best friends, but three or four years ago, they discovered a tumor actually back here, kind of right behind her ear. And, I, you know, I'll tell you right up front, it wasn't cancerous, praise God. She had it removed, you know, all of that. But in the process of going through this, of course, they were doing brain scans and checking things out. The tumor was actually wrapped around her uh, eardrum, and so it was trickier to get out, but they got it. So they're looking at these brain scans one day, her and her husband. It was a pretty intense appointment because, she, you know, she was learning. You're going to have some pretty major surgery. It is going to be very close to your brain. You potentially will lose your hearing. She did in that ear. But it was a pretty intense appointment. So they're looking at the scan, and the doctor was saying, you know, all these areas, and he was pointing out all these, like, this controls that, and this controls that. And there are all these darker areas of the brain. And in what he explained, because I think they probably asked at one point, but the darker areas are where all the all the neurological connections had filled in, right, had filled in the space. So to learn to uh, just the, the sight and what you're seeing and all of that fills in the optical area and motor skills fills in that area. So finally, Matt, who's her husband, <clears throat> noticed this little small area in part of the brain that was very white. It was very not filled in. And he said, well, what's that? And the doctor said, well, that's an area that's interesting. He said, that's an area that didn't really fill in, you know, didn't, it, for whatever reason, that part just never got used very well. It did not connect and make the good wiring in the brain that it should have. And so that part of the brain um, that, that, that that controls, the part of her, I'm sorry, part of her life that that part of her brain controls, 
probably doesn't work real well. <laughs> and he was just going to leave it as that. But of course, Matt said, well, what does that control? What does it? We want to know what that controls. <laughs> and right away, he was like, well, balance, <laughs> coordination. <laughs> my friend, I love her dearly. She's one of my very best friends named Nikki, but she is so uncoordinated. And she falls and she trips and she just always has had those problems. But what's very interesting is to so go back to that part of the brain. This is the part that just intrigues me so we've got these little people. We're trying to fill in. Remember those neurological connections I talked about last week, right? We're trying to help them wire in those areas. So we can't be afraid to have the conversations with the kids to consequence if we need a consequence, but to do it in a way that means something to them rather than speaks, whether it's anger or frustration or any of that, right? So we want the, those areas of their brains to fill in. We just want to do it in a healthy way. So it was just a little fun example, but I wanted to, this is a little bit more where I'm going to, I probably wanted to put that in there because I'm going to be very real in a minute here, um, and not in a way that I'm very proud of myself, but I want you to hear it because I genuinely want you to hear what happens on the other side, and it is interesting. I was talking to somebody that was here last week before this morning, and the one thing she said, the feedback that she had gotten pretty, quite a bit last week was, I didn't screw my child up, right? I didn't screw my child up. And I just, I'm going to repeat, you didn't screw your children up. You really, you just didn't, right? But I want you to hear this because I want you to see the whole process involving, especially like the amygdala, the high fire type of thing, right? When I was pregnant with my uh, uh, second biological child, if you remember, I kind of had him out of order because of adoption, but my second biological child, that particular year um, during his pregnancy, and it was really actually between the fourth and the sixth month of that pregnancy, I lost two grandparents, grandparents that were married to each other, um, and, and really they hadn't been sick. I mean, once, it, once the one started and the other, totally different medical, but so it was just intense. And I cried a lot during that time. These were grandparents that were like my parents, right? They just played that role in my life. And so I had a lot of stress hormone, go back to stress hormones, flooding my body during very, um, <clears throat> you know, key time. I mean, the whole pregnancy is key, but this was, you know, one of them that was very key, that time period, the second trimester. And um, so that particular child is, I mean, I love, love, love him dearly, but he's, I kind of call him my tricky one. He's just, the way he handles stress and emotion and all those things are just a little bit different. And we know, I'm sorry, I forgot to say this, 50 to 75% of the, the hormones in general, stress or not, that we have when we are pregnant, 50 to 75%, they now show through research and things gets passed to the children, right? So, you know, when we're pregnant, we might think, well, they don't, they don't get anything yet. I mean, they, they're growing and developing and that sort of thing, but they actually are even receiving stress hormones, through, or I call them happy hormones, other hormones through you, right? So that's kind of what happened with Dan. So Dan was just a, I, I've always called him my tricky kid. I love, love, love him, but he's always been the one that's just, just a little harder for me to manage, right? So he, and he's also very, which probably has somewhat to do with all of this, he's also very ADHD, <laughs> like poster child. You, you know, big old picture, there's Dan's face for, for ADHD. So um, he was just a struggle, especially in the morning. That's where I'm trying to get to is in the mornings, getting ready for school. Like I could do lists and have them check off. I could get them up an hour earlier than the other. I mean, it didn't matter what I did. I was trying to do everything I could to, to be able to get him to school on time. And it was just, it just was a struggle most mornings. Well, one particular morning, I, well, I just got to say, I lost it. Like I just lost it. I had tried all these different things. Nothing was working. I think we missed the bus again that day. Like, I just was at my limit. <clears throat> and I would say it was in a point in my life where, too, I also actually did, after Daniel was born, I went through some pretty significant postpartum depression for a little bit. Um, I totally understand depression in a whole different way now than I ever did before or even after. I mean, it's just, it was intense. So it was just a tough time in general for, you know, me as far as um, mentally, emotionally, stability, that sort of thing. So I lost it. And I... I don't really remember what I said. All I know is I spoke at decibels that were way beyond what a mom should ever speak to their child. I did that. I, um, I'm sure I don't really remember what I said because I was very offline cognitively. I can tell you right now, this is one of those moments. My stress level just very much covered my brain, and I did not handle that well. So I know I said things I shouldn't have said. I know I acted in ways I shouldn't have acted. I probably grabbed his arm or something. In, it just was not a pretty morning. 
So I finally get him to school, and then my hormones start coming off. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did I do to my child? You all know that feeling, right? I was just, I was just miserable. I even called the teacher because um, it was about five minutes before school started, and I got her in her room, and I said, this is Lori Van Harmelin. Had kind of a rough morning with Dan. Would you just tell him, like, because mom, she really does love him. <laughs> you know, please just make sure he knows that I really love him. I mean, I was feeling it, right? That memory, so this is where I want to get back to some of this brain stuff, that memory stuck with me for a long time. I mean, really, it was several years, three, four, five years. I don't really remember time-wise, but it stuck with me for a long time. And I'm going to be very honest, and some of you have this. When that memory would come back to me, internally, in that part of my brain that gets triggered, that was like a trauma memory for me, right? Because I did not like how I acted. I was, you know, between shame and embarrassment and just all of that. Like, it was a, it was a bad moment. So I'm finally at this training that we're talking about brain stuff and all of this, and we were doing this certain activity, which I'm not going to, you know, do or anything, but we were doing this certain activity. And honestly, I want to say, I've got to do a little interlude here. As much as they don't come at this stuff from a Jesus perspective, I know that part of all of this is Jesus working in me, speaking to me, through me in that process, right? So I'm going through this process uh, that they were leading us through, and part of it involved, like, seeing ourselves not as we were that day, but how we really wish we would have been, what is within us that really would have allowed us to walk through that very high-stress moment much differently and better. And i got to tell you, this image came into my head, and I had not seen what I'm going to show you, but this image came into my head, and instantly I, like, felt this healing over me. I hadn't been able to really talk about that moment without feeling the, the I say trauma, the, oh, my gosh, like that overwhelming shame, right, internally. I don't even know for sure if I really told Mark about that, about my husband, because I think I was so embarrassed of it. But it, it was just, so anyway, this is the image. I got to find it now. I think there. Can you see, there's, it's a duck facing the other way. Can you see the two little babies tucked in there. Do you see it? Right? I saw that in my head. I'd never seen this before. But I saw that, and I believe God spoke in that moment. He knew that I needed healing for that moment, right? And in the um, the change that it made inside of me to recognize that I have, I can, I am this. I know this is me. I wasn't in that moment, but this is the mom that I really, I know I was, right? When I was not offline, and it was probably about a year later I came across this picture, and I just stared. I think I just cried, actually, because it just spoke. What? Did it move? Oh, were you saying something? You can't find the babies? Oh, that's so funny. Come up closer later. You'll see the little babies. They're poking their little Can anybody else see the babies? Okay, do you see them now? Oh, good. They're tucked in. You know what? They are enveloped by the loving, loving arms of their, their mother duck, right? So this is the healing. It's kind of a two-part healing I wanted you to hear with this. So I had this, what I'm going to call this trauma moment in my brain because there was some deep shame wired in from that moment that I was really struggling to let go of. And in that moment of seeing this, truly seeing that the Lord knows, God knows that this is the kind of mother I really am, it helped me to move beyond that moment where I I struggled, right? And then the next step that I took was I went back to Dan, (laughs) right? And, And I really had an opportunity now that I could actually speak about it. And by the way, this is the first time I could really speak about it after this without really crying and feeling that overwhelming shame. So as much as I don't love sharing it with you, I actually don't feel shame for it anymore. I really don't because I truly believe God just removed that from me. Um, But I went back to Dan then, and I actually had a healing moment with him. He didn't remember this exact morning, but he remembered that there were mornings that were really hard, that mom got very upset. And we talked about it, and I was able to talk with him about it. Um, and, and really, I believe it brought some significant healing to him. And um, to be honest, and I apologized to him. And I probably did even that day, but I don't think I fully understood until I went through this with him. It was beautiful. And, I, and part of the reason I want you to hear all that is because, again, I don't want people to leave um, this type of presentation feeling like, 
what do I, what have I done? Right? Because you haven't done what you've done is given God opportunities to heal and to bring you closer and to, to grow you, grow your children. Okay. Um, where do I want to go? Why does the time go so fast? What is it? Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm sorry if I'm talking too much. <laughs> um, so let me, I'm going to jump down to this. I think it's going to be better if I just go down to here. So in the midst of, this is kind of what I wanted, I want to maybe end with this part, part today. When we, well, let me start back. When our children are having, I'm going to call it this Hulk moment. Offline, acting in ways we don't want them to act, all of that. Perhaps we're having our own Hulk moment. That's never a good mix, and so we'll talk about that. One of the biggest things, if you can get this mental image, I never really found a graphic. I probably could have drawn something, but in my office, I just draw it on paper. But I want you to get this image in your head, just simply because, to me, it is very, very helpful, especially as I work with moms of, the, of kids that I'm seeing. I, I try to help them see this so that they have a place to go when they feel themselves going offline right, when they feel that stress coming in. So just imagine, it's going to sound kind of funny, but just imagine a street, right? So you have this two-laned street, and there's a curb on each side, and there's this middle line that goes down, you know, separating the two sides of the traffic. And you know people like this. You'll know people, all three of the kind I'm going to describe. There's some people that emotionally, from an emotional perspective, this is called emotional tolerance, right? From an emotional perspective, things can happen in their world. doesn't matter if it's super, super amazing, awesome, or very devastating. They just kind of walk on that middle line. <laughs> okay, those people bother me because I'm not that person, right? They're just, they just seem to ride it. They're calm. They, they don't get riled. They also don't get so energetic that they're out of control. They're just middle of the road, Right? emotionally. They have a good day, they're like, you know, on a bad day, they might be like, you know what I mean? But that's the end of it. Then you've got the people, which I think the majority of us are, and I I feel like I fall in this category. We kind of walk between the curbs. (laughs) We kind of, we have good days and things go great and we're excited and we have these days where we're like, you know, but we stay within the curbs because the curbs represent the boundaries of what we can tolerate emotionally, right? That's, That's what those curbs are. So we have good and bad and, and you know, blessings and, and not so great things, but we're within the boundaries of being able to emotionally control ourselves and, and have this tolerance of dealing with emotions. And then the third person, of course, is the people that ride on the, the sidewalks. You know, I'm not going to go too wide because I'd lose. But you know what I mean? They just, they're just, they kind of just, they head in certain directions. And, and to be truthful, it can be in a very fun direction, but those are sometimes those, maybe let's just say those parents or those kids that get so excitable that it's like, come back, you know, let's get back into the, into the street here, right? And then you have, of course, on the other side, where emotionally, mentally, emotionally, they just are off, completely offline. You've got crying, screaming, you know, you could have fear, anger, anxiety, which we're going to talk about anxiety next, next week. Um, so you've got the people that go outside of that, right? So for us, and for the purposes of this conversation, when we have these moments, whether our kid is going way off, or especially if we feel ourselves going outside off the curb into the sidewalk area, mentally, emotionally, if we can start to grab onto, wait a minute, I see myself, if we can start to become aware enough of our emotions, and really, I'm going to tell you, at first, I never really thought I could be that great at this. Like, I wasn't sure emotionally I could have that kind of control. But the more that you're aware of it, the more you can think about it, it's amazing how quickly you can catch yourself. Do you know now I can actually feel, I literally can feel in moments when my stress goes up, I can feel a physical, like, I, I know it's the hormones. And it's because, because i become so aware of what happens in the body, I experience, like, I can feel it, right? And, and that's not something I ever could, you know, explain or understand or anything before that. So when we start becoming aware of those emotions and how we're heading off in one direction or the other, especially in the side that, you know, more of the frustration or anger or whatever, we need to be thinking, trying to grab onto before we have crossed that curb. Because once we cross that curb, we're kind of offline, right? Then we need to take a whole different set of, of steps. But before we cross that curb, how do I get myself back in the middle, 
right? What do I need to do? And those are uh, some things that I'm just going to mention a couple things that we can do first with our kids and then just for ourselves, right? So for our kids, here's a couple things, just keeping that in mind, right? One of them, my first one that I put on here um, is do not take your child's behavior, actions, words, especially when they're offline, do not take them personally. I think as moms, it hurts, you know, when our kid says, I hate you, or whatever. You know what? They don't hate you. They don't. They need you. They know how much they love you. But in that moment, they're offline. They're not thinking. And so we, but what, here's what happens. We respond to that. And we're like, oh, I'm such a bad mom, you know, or whatever. We respond to that rather than recognizing they're having a moment. There's a chemical thing going on. They're not really thinking. And part of me staying in my center is not joining the emotion of that child, right? So reminding myself what they're doing. They're not trying to hurt me. They're not trying to, uh, they would feel, they will probably feel horrible later when they realize what they've said. But in those moments, don't take it personal because that tends to uh, make us more offline. Second one, actually, I already mentioned this a little bit. I'll just say it real quick, and then I'll keep moving. The second one is allow time. Allow time for draining of the chemical off the brain, out of the body a little bit more. And we've talked a couple of things that we could do. There's other things we could do. We'll talk about probably more next week. Um, but we, we allow time. Maybe the child just needs to sit. Maybe I need, <laughs> maybe I need to put the, the child or the baby in a crib and walk outside, right? They're safe. I'm going to make sure they're safe. But to get myself back in that center before I lose it, I need to give some time to get that off. Third one, which is really helpful, is keep your voice, when you are in the middle of one of those offline moments, especially with one of your kids, try to keep your voice low and calm. Because even if they are yelling and screaming, and you might have to say something like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Mommy's talking. Can you hear me? And it might take you three or four times, and you might be like, would you just shut up? But in truth, if you keep yourself low and calm, they will gravitate more towards that than if you try to out-yell them or out-volume them in some way. That just exasperates further that stress hormone, and all you're really doing is creating more stress hormone for yourself as well as the child right? So keeping a voice low, calm, and again, you might have to hear a little bit at first until you can get them to hear calm down, but just being aware of that. Here's the other thing that does for you, besides not exasperating the child and and yourself as far as stress hormone, the other thing that it does for for you is it gives you a sense of I'm in control. I'm not losing it. I'm not going off the curb into the sidewalk, right? It gives you a sense of being in control, um, here, here's another one. And honestly, the first time I, uh, I don't even remember where I got this idea of somebody told me or I just started, I don't even really remember. Um, it was shocking to me at my kid's response and it was awesome all at the same time. There was a particular day. I remember the first time this happened because I can picture it. I was right in the hallway. <laughs> I just remember, I think I just put a kid in the bedroom or something. I don't quite remember the scenario, but I remember where I was. And right out loud, I think it just, I don't think anybody told me. I just think I just started. I just said, Lord. I'm exhausted. I don't know what to do. I need your help. I need that strength. Call that strength stuff I talked to you about earlier. I, I, the scripture I shared with you earlier, like I just started praying it right out loud. And I remember Abby was there. I think I probably was having a problem with Dan. So I think I had done something with him, put him in this room or whatever. But I remember Abby going, I just kind of looking at me like, what are you doing? And at one point I just said, I'm just asking Jesus for help, honey, because mommy's not feeling really I don't know what I said, happy right now or so. I don't remember what I said, but, and I just started praying. I tell you what, that brought me, I went from, to okay, you're with me. You give me strength for these moments, right? And it brought me back down. So call on who, right? And what we know is our greatest strength. Just start praying and write out loud. And what better example for our kids, right? That we would go to our father first when we are struggling, right? Um, And then the last one that I have on this part is, you know, choosing your words wisely. 
Um, and I think we all at some point have struggled with that. Um, you know, some maybe more than others, but there's a quote that I, I found at one point that really um, does help understand. In fact, there's a little, kind of just a brief little activity I want to do with you a quick minute and then we'll be done today. But um, the quote says, the way that we speak to our children will become their inner voice. Okay, so think about that. The way that we speak, those things that we're saying to them. Now, if we're speaking life and hope and joy and, you know, those kinds of things, my husband discovered, you know, a little bit later, but he discovered the power of the words, I'm just proud of you, right? And it changed this relationship that he had with some of my kids to speak the life, the hope and the joy, right? As opposed to, my one friend, I love her dearly. She's such a good mom, Christian mom, just a good mom. But one day she just got exasperated with her kid. I happened to be there. And I remember her just going, you're driving me crazy. And I felt for my friend because she was highly stressed at the moment, given the circumstances, which I don't need to describe, but she was stressed. But the incredible part was I happened to look at her daughter right at that moment who she said this about. I don't think my friend ever even noticed the daughter's face. And the daughter's face just went and she just retreated, right? So those are those moments we want to go back and heal. We want to speak over, but that becomes or can, if we are not careful, that inner voice. I drive people crazy. I'm annoying, right? And they can start doing some of that thinking. So I want to just real quick, and this, this is not long, but I want, to, I want to show you something here maybe, hopefully a minute. So I'm going to read in just a second. I'm going to, just, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do, and then we're going to do it. Um, I'm going to read one sentence at a time, but 10 sentences. And they're about you, right? You're going, to say, you're going to say these. And so what I want you to do, and write out loud, and I want everybody to do it so nobody feels weird, <laughs> right? Um, because I want you to experience this. So I'm going to give you these sentences one at a time. And when you say them, I truly want you to say it as if, like, this is truth, and I'm, I'm going to make you believe that I know that this is true. Okay? So that's all I want you to do is just simply say the statement, but say it like you mean it. That's what I really want you to do. Say it like you mean it. Okay? So here we go. There's just 10 of them. It'll go super fast. First one, say, I am deeply loved. I love and accept myself for who I am. I am confident in my ability to mother my children. People love and appreciate me. I believe in myself. I'm a good person. I am competent and smart. I love who I've become. I deserve to be respected. I am a per- I'm sorry. I am a person of integrity and people can trust me. So what I want you to do, just individually in, in your own heads, um, nobody, I'm not going to have anybody speak this, you know, raise hands or anything like that, but just ask yourself, were there any of those statements that you said, then you said them like you meant it, you repeated my words well, but kind of in the back of the head, you kind of heard this, eh, not so much, or I don't know if I believe that one, right? And the reason I say that is because that is... It's like this inner voice. It's this inner critic. It's this piece of us that, quite frankly, what I believe is it reveals lies that we might be believing about ourselves, right? And I bring this up, and I wanted to do this little activity, experiment, whatever, because I'm hoping that maybe it will help us understand. I know I had to really work on this myself, right? There's, and even these sentences and a lot more, like, I have had to go back and thought, okay, why did I have that voice that said, uh, Lori, yeah, that's not really true. And I've had to confront those, right, in my own life. But these are the, the, the ways that our words can impact other people, like children, your husband, your, your friends, your parents, right? If we use our words in ways that are not life-giving. In fact, somewhere in here I have the verse, I made my kids memorize it, and we all... Did I have it up there? I think, yes. Well, this is just one of the versions. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up 
as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's a different version. That's not the one I had memorized. But um, speaking those words of life, that the, the one version I have memorized says that will benefit others, right? When we don't use those words, we have the potential of, of, of helping our children maybe believe things that we don't want them to believe. Um, now, if you've said something to one of your kids that you shouldn't have, let's go back to all the other stuff we've been talking about. There's absolute healing. There is going back and being able to help them see, no, that's really not true. Abby, I had this with Abby. I asked her about a year ago. I said, have I ever said anything to you that comes back to you that really kind of hurts that I've said? Because I didn't, I couldn't, you know, I didn't really know. And she said, Mom, there's one time. And she thought she was about seven for this one, too, which is weird because the other one was about that, too. But I, and I don't remember the scenario. vaguely remember saying this. Um, but something was happening with the kids, and, I, and she said, Mom, you called me a selfish brat. My heart dropped. Picked up with one to cry now. But it also gave me a moment to say, Honey, you are the least selfish person I know. You love people. You care. You jump in. You are, I think, I, not that I want to call you guys out, but both Rachel and Amanda, my kids are like always, you probably get annoyed with her, always loving on those children. Like she just is drawn to love and love, right? And I say that it's it, another healing moment, another for her, for me, that I wasn't even aware of. I hadn't really, I probably said it when I was offline. I don't really remember. Um, but those are the moments we go back and we can heal those and we can bring grace and healing to that scenario. So let me pray. I'm sure I'm probably um, over time. Heavenly Father, God, just pray that you bless each and every one of these women that are here today. God, I pray that in their mothering that you, and, and we already know the truth, you are their strength. You are um, their hope, their help. You uphold God, you have given them everything that they need to raise these beautiful, precious little children well. And Lord, I pray in those moments when we struggle, when we get frustrated, because that's a real thing. We, we deal with that. But God, even then, you have hope, you have healing, you have made a way for us to, uh, to move forward in a way that is healthy and growth and life. And I just pray that every day that they're raising these children, God, that you will bless them with your presence, that you will watch over them, protect them, give them the words to speak to their children. And in those moments when they themselves are struggling with, with frustration or staying emotionally in control, God, let them come to you to be their peace, that you keep them in the center of the, the peace that you give, that life-giving rest. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.